All right, welcome everybody to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I'm very excited for today's podcast. This is the month of October. It is one of my favorite months, as I've mentioned in my newsletter. If you haven't subscribed, please go to latinasb2b.com and subscribe to our newsletter as you get updates on our guests that will be present in the coming months. And also some interesting news that is coming down the way with Latinas from the block to the boardroom. So a while back, I went to a podcast movement conference, which was held out in Florida, specifically Orlando. And this is where a bunch of podcasters that are making their way in this realm of media, specifically marketing media, And I met this wonderful woman named Maritza Caldez, and she's joining me today. She has a podcast called Terro en los Bordes, and she has a awesome podcast that is in Espanol. And she tells us her stories from her maiden land, which is Colombia. She is a Colombian woman. She has also been a journalist, and she is retired now and lives out in Orlando with her husband. But she writes these wonderful stories, Mm -hmm. and today we're going to talk about some of these stories as they pertain to our cultura. And these are myths and folklores that we tell our kids, and it's a way to control us with El Cucuy or La Llorona or other stories we tell about our families. But where do these stories come from? They are passed down through migrating from country to country, and it comes from something very uh, spiritual that has happened in the past, and it gets evolved over time, and certain cultures adapt it to their families or to their country. And so I want to bring in Maritza Caldas to talk about stories that pertain to our cultura, And these stories get written and told within our families and they get passed down to where we want to share them during these times, especially during Halloween. And what does that mean when we tell about El Cucuy and La Llorona? And these are stories that are in Espanol. So I want this to be something that we take into our hearts of our cultura, how we talk about these stories. But something I also want to say is that when we share these stories, we're also giving entertainment. We're giving some kind of community for us to say, oh, where did this story originate from? How did this story come about? Why is it always about women? You know, that we have these stories that scare us. And we're going to get into that today because Maritza and I have been talking about these stories couple of months ago and we just bonded immediately because her stories are so amazing and they're very scary and they're trippy and I get so weirded out by (laughs) that I have her today as our special (laughs) guest. So Maritza, thank you for joining us. Tell us a little bit about (laughs) why El Cucuy and La Llorona, these are big stories, but tell us why you got into the writing space, uh, specifically with these types of stories. Yeah. Hi, how are you? I'm so happy that you got me on your podcast. Mm -hmm. I understand your podcast is really great because it has to do with Silicon Valley and women that are achieving and looking for new avenues for their talent. So uh, thank you for that. As a woman, I thank you for what you're doing. You're yeah. a pioneer out there. Oh, thank you, Maritza. It's not just about women in tech because there is a big story behind that, as I've shared in other podcasts. What we've done is we want to bring in Latinas to share their story. But this is also about empowerment, you know, where you come from, how you've got to where you are in your life right now through the hardships and how you want to, again, continue that story. With you, it's writing stories, but also there is a true crime element from what I understand. There's a true crime element that you're very invested in and you like to tell these stories on your podcast, which is amazing. And that's how we bonded together. But the other thing is that, you know, writing is an art and we want to talk about the arts on this podcast as well, because there's a lot of Latinos and Latinas, Latinx, the whole spectrum 
sets and we are not represented just like in tech. I just also came from another conference, the Hispanicize 19 and shout out to Latinos Out Loud. There were percentages given on how many writers are actually in this space of media, which is so small. Why is that? Our community is so big. I keep saying this on every single podcast. Our community is huge. We are the second largest community of consumer, how we collectively come together. And we are one of the, we are the second biggest ethnic group, if you will, out in the United States. And we have less than 4% that are writers mm -hmm. for TV, writers for books. Yeah. We are publishers. We don't get published for books. So here's an opportunity for those of you listening out here. There are areas where you can start your own writing, publish your own book online. There are sites called Seed and Spark that I met that do movies where you can be a writer and get your movie done by people donating. It's a crowdfunding platform for movies because Hollywood is very, you know, they're in their tower, you know, their ivory towers of not recognizing this. And we have to support our community in these areas yes, are. of the arts because when Black Panther came out, right? When Black Panther came out, Every person of color came out to support Black Panther oh, yeah. and boom, it was a box office hit. You know, we got to come out in droves like that. Same thing for crazy rich Asians. They were buying tickets for people, you know, that were Asian and not Asian, like come support our movie because once you support them, you get the numbers out, then it becomes a reality and people start to notice. So let's do that. Maritza, I'm going to give you the platform because I think your writing is amazing especially during this holiday spooky time, but it's also a remembrance Thanks. of our ancestors. So I'm going to let you talk a little bit about yourself now and the stories that you present and uh, why you got interested in that, in those stories. Okay. I have a rich culture, as you know, because I have the background of Colombian and Puerto Rican and um, stories have been told by my family forever. One of the reasons, since I wanted to start the podcast, it's because I wanted these legends, myths, and tales to be preserved for the future, for my grandchildren, for example, so they know actually where they came from. And you also have to think in the old times, at least where I came from, although I was born in New York City, I was taken when I was a child to Colombia, and from there I migrated basically to Puerto Rico for a while, then I came back to the U.S., and when you put a child to bed in here, you sing them a lullaby and you read them a beautiful book so they can go to sleep. Well, in Colombia, it wasn't like that. My grandmother used to tell us very scary stories, especially to me, because she knew that I just wanted to listen to them. I will devour them. I want to know why she wanted to so tell it you was, spooky you know, stories when you go to bed. <laughs> This is why Monsters, Inc. exists, right? <laughs> Monsters, Inc. I truly don't know. Mm -hmm. Yes, she wanted me to probably to be a good girl and to know that if I didn't fall asleep right then and there, something was going to get me. Someone was under the bed. Someone was in the closet. Mm -hmm. It's very amazing how they can, from the beginning, they can give you that fear. Mm -hmm. It's a fear factor that you start growing up with. Oh. But at the time, I had fear, yes. But as I, as I grew older, I realized that these stories were very rich. And the way my grandmother would tell them, she would transfer me into that world that she would describe so vividly. Ooh. So I was there with her. I was actually inside all the stories. And a few of the stories have my family in the background. Mm -hmm. A few of the stories have happened to my, like one of them, Specifically, El Duende, which was like my first hit. Mm -hmm. It just came out running up right off the gate. It was the first podcast that I had, and it still gets downloaded. I think that one alone has like 15,000 downloads. Oh, my gosh. Because I, people want the second part. And you know what? That's something that I have. I have it in my pocket. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to give that up yet. Mm -hmm. But there is a second part. But that's based on an accident. It wasn't a real accident. It was based on something that my father had, an occurrence. Let's, yeah. He thought he hit a dog on the road, but he was driving on this very dark road. You can imagine in those days, 
roads had not like this one. It wasn't even paved. It was just rocky. It was just dusty, no lights. And he thought he hit a dog. This was in Colombia. In Colombia. In Colombia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so he puts the dog in the back seat and he brings it home. Meanwhile, I'm in college and they called me up and said, your father had an accident because I have one of those mothers that just scares you all the time for some unknown reason. (laughs) Hence, my family always scaring you. (laughs) Come here right now. Your father was in an accident. He didn't even have a scratch, by the way. Mm -hmm. But yet they called the doctor. She called the whole family because in those days, the doctor will come to your house and visit you, Mm. which was pretty amazing. So the doctor came and he said, I'm just going to give him a sedative. Meanwhile, my father kept on screaming, the dog, the dog, where is the dog? That dog is El Duende. That dog comes to take the children away. Oh, my god. And when goodness. they told me this, I'm like, oh, my God, not again. You mm-hmm. and your stories. This is not happening. Mm. Not happening. You're too crazy. You're not going to involve me in your crazy. No, you're not. Mm-hmm. So I became part of the story, you know, and. I would really like for everybody to listen to it, to go to the podcast and listen to El Duende. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my biggest platform is iBooks, which is um, basically heard in Spain. My 80% of the people that listen to me are in Spain. Mm-hmm. So I can see the cultural want, the cultural need that they have. Although, remember, Spain is in Europe still. They have that cultural want because it's very mixed and they want to hear our stories. They want to know what happened because probably the grandmothers or the great grandmothers are not alive and they didn't share these things. But I was one of the lucky ones. Right. So when you talk about these stories, right, let's just say right now that your granny, your abuelita was not this one that was making conchas and uh, chocolate and giving you hugs and, you know, <laughs> all those warm fuzzies. Oh, she so she was but like that was during the day at night time at night time yeah she was the perfect abuelita she oh. was like your essential abuelita oh my goodness but still you know at night time the telescope yes right but then later she started giving me some of the family tales were which were amazing as well mm-hmm. and hence my writing commenced mm. so she I so didn't she, want them to go into deaf ears. Oh, okay. So if I can, I'm going to reference a movie here. So she was like the gremlins. So she was all cute and fuzzy and warm and and happy. (laughs) But you get her at night around water and she turns into, ah! So she was gizmo during the day. (laughs) She turned into a gremlin at night. You know, you're right. That's terrible, that, but that's a very accurate description. No disrespect here, Abuelita, but I'm just saying. No, 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 thank you. Yeah. Very strange, isn't it, that at nighttime, all of these things will come out of her head just to let me know, hey, you know, behave. Right. You know, how can you sleep when somebody gives you all these stories, even though they give you hot chocolate just before you go to bed? Right. It's like I'm the- still looking out the window thinking, oh, my God, there it is. Right, right. So, Maritza, one of the things we talk about is the stories that are passed down and they're so rich and, you know, they come from our culture. So I know that you talk a lot about how your abuelita influenced you from the stories and your history within your family. But, you know, this is a very special time for Latinos because we celebrate, you know, the Dia de los Muertos and we celebrate Lucy. And we put, you know, our ofrendas up and we the pictures and, you know, a lot of the things were sensationalized by Pixar, which is just around the corner here. Hello, Pixar. Doing Coco, mm-hmm. right? So that kind of Coco elevated, you know, this, this whole thing about, you know, Dia de los Muertos. And I feel now the culture is being appropriated. But I always feel that Halloween had, you know, started that little... I want to say consumerism here in maybe the United States where it's really kind of a spiritual thing. But you said that your grandmother from us talking, she used to make costumes, right? Didn't she used to make costumes for Halloween? And this is, you know, a long costumes ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she was showing long time, long time ago. Mm-hmm. And do you think that because of that, this the com- picture she has, well, after she started making all these costumes, 
she had albums and albums of photographs, very old photographs. Remember, try to imagine photograph with Charlie Chaplin. <laughs> We're talking about the same kind of photo. And in high school, you mean and in this, like I will see my father photo. all, yes, yes, totally vintage because it mm-hmm. is, they were vintage, they are vintage. And I could see my father as a youngster, as a teenager, all dressed up. I remember seeing him as a lion tamer and my um, my aunt all dressed up. She was wearing like a harem suit, beautiful costumes. And all of them were made by my grandmother, mm. amazingly so. And I started doing this later. I had a shop on eBay, which I used to sell my customs, and they used to go for like hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Wow. And all of these were inspired by movies that they were currently showing. But at all times, every stitch at a time, I was thinking about what will grandmother do? Mm -hmm. What will she try to let me know Mm -hmm. with this costume? Mm -hmm. How should I proceed now? Mm -hmm. Like right now... I'm getting together all these customs in the garage because we're going as a bunch of pirates with my sister and my best friend and my husband. So these are customs that I have made. Mm -hmm. I know. I still celebrate Halloween. I'm sorry. (laughs) No, don't be sorry. Don't ever be sorry. I love Halloween. (laughs) You know, my house. Okay. I'm just going to throw a joke out here. It's not even a joke. It's really just pain for my (laughs) husband because I have all this Halloween stuff for the house and I take it out and he hates it because what it's only like a couple of weeks, right? For Halloween stuff. And you know, I really love the the colors and the lights and everything. And I make the house all just fun. And and then I'm like, okay, we got to pack it up, put Christmas up now. (laughs) And <laughs> it's That's like, exactly what goes on in this house. <laughs> it's not fun for him, but it's fun it's exactly for me. <laughs> he always tells me, "Quit buying all the Halloween stuff." because I have so many Halloween things. I know, I know. When we buy it, when it's on sale, why they don't understand us? I don't get it. Right, right. I buy it right after Halloween. Yes, but I have it for the next year. <laughs> right, I do the same thing too. So we're caught up in the consumerism of Halloween. But I feel like, you know, Latinos, Latinx, we're the ones that have put, you know, Halloween on the map, you know, with Dia de los Muertos and how we bring all the colors to life. We celebrate our history. We celebrate our ancestors. And that's becoming more and more popular. I don't like how some people don't understand what that tradition is and what it means to our culture as Latinx because we're really paying respect and we're giving a lot of homage, as I like to say, to our ancestors because where we are today and what we're doing in life, a lot of people had to sacrifice and suffer to get us to where we are today. So this is why I wanted to talk about sharing our stories and Halloween and what it means and the stories that come out from you know, the fear factor and how Hollywood sensationalizes these stories of really scaring the shit out of you. Like my mom even talks about La Llorona, how it was told to her, you know, to keep her in at night because, you know, she was out late at night by herself or whatever, that La Llorona would come and get her, you know, when she was younger, when she was a teenager. And so the other story was the kukui. You know, here on the West Coast, it's kukui, but I think on the East Coast, it's something else. But, you know, it's like, don't do that. The kukui is going to come and get you. You know, it's always around this time, the kukui. There's an el kukui out there. It's, it's always like something's going to get you. Yeah, we grew up with that fear. Something is out there to get us. And don't get me wrong, this fear is good in a way. Because sometimes mm-hmm. the women, when they're out the street on a daily basis, they feel like we do, like all animals do, in the back of the neck. We feel that our little hairs are standing and it's because there's something ominous oh, about to yeah. happen. And we don't believe that We because we are taught also to be nice, to be mindful. And at the time we want to scream, we don't. That's not right. And that's because mm-hmm. all fears also... They made us think, okay, well, nothing really happened out of these things. But we have to be mindful at all times. This is how serial killers work. They're praying on women because we know and they know that we're too nice when it comes to a stranger. 
that we will come to their mm-hmm. aid, that this maternal feeling will come out and we will help them. Like Ted Bundy, he had a cast on his arm, which was fake. And women, obviously, they were trying to help him. Oh, hell no. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I know. Yes. But I'm you telling do. you, uh, you can't. Some people will say, oh, you're so mean or this or that. Or it's like, I'm sorry. If, you know, somebody's trying to lure me away, I mean, you have to be seriously busted and broke down and crawling on the ground. And I will call help for you, but I am not going to help you. No, no, (laughs) it's not that. I will call help for you. I I will do whatever, you know, but I will not follow you. I will not touch you. I will call the police for you. Whatever you, I will call triple A if your car is broken down, but I will not get out of my car. Call triple A. But they, they they know they know that a good a, a good nature will help them out. They that's what they prey on on our niceness basically. But you know, right, so la, so La Llorona is good in a way. Is then, good in right? a way. Yeah. yeah. So Marita, when we talk about the fear factor mm-hmm. and to be careful, this comes from our parents and our abuelitas, and I know they mean well when they tell us these stories, but a lot of it when you think about these stories, right, and where they originated from, it's always around women. <laughs> the woman is the instigator. She's the, you know, person coming after you. So be careful. And I think there's a reason for that. So when we break down La Llorona to its core root of how it originated, which we looked, or you did uh, specifically, that it was kind of brought over from um, the Greek yes. kind of story mythology. Yeah. And then, you know, these stories migrate and they transform into other stories. But there's a thread in there that remains true to this core story. And I think if we can go back to Greece to trace La Llorona's roots, it was a story between, was it Zeus? Was it Zeus? Yes. Yes. Or you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, okay. it was Zeus, and he was married to Hera. But Zeus, as everybody knows, he was not very faithful to her. He used to have romances with a lot of women. But in this case, he had a romance with another... They were not goddess, but let's, let's call them sub-goddess. It was with Lamia, and he had children with her. And Hera was not going to have any of that. So she decided to go after the children. <laughs> <laughs> And these were no- these are how novellas are born, people. <laughs> yes, they are. <laughs> this is where you get the Jealousy. novellas. These are novellas before <laughs> before Univision, you know, started making it's them true. super popular, yes. right? This is before the Guiding Light. Okay, the Guiding it's Light. The other woman. <laughs> the other woman. It's always the other woman. And in right. this case, it was she was right. It was the other woman, and she's not going to have none of that. So revenge, revenge. Her revenge was just to steal the children. And she drowned them, unfortunately. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yes. She drowned the kids. Oh. And this is the Greek this is the Greek yes. story. Hera's wife, she did this. And Lamia, supposedly, she went around the world unconsolable. And she was supposedly stealing children. Now remember, we have no veracity as to what this is true or not, but we do know that it's a Greek ancient mythology tale. All of the tales in there, they're they're horrific. Mm-hmm. Horrific. The oh Greek mythologies. Oh, yeah, mythology. there's another mm-hmm. one that did the same thing. Medea killed her own children because Jason, who probably everybody knows Jason because Jason of the Argonauts, and as we see Jason in the movie, he was also having romances with everybody. Lo and behold, his wife is in another city where Jason is out there on a ship. So he did the same thing. He had an affair with another <laughs> woman. Here we go again. And she did the same thing. She just killed those children wow. right off just to punish him. Kind of weird, isn't it? <laughs> that's that's crazy. So, it's, well, it sounds like you're a Greek mythology aficionado to some degree. Yes, yes. And I know that you did a lot of reading in Colombia growing up. I think you said you were an English major. Were you an English major growing up? Literature, yes. In literature, yes. Mm-hmm. Literature. So when we talk about people that read these books, we want to tell our stories. This is great. This is where you learn the pen, the power of the pen and how to write your stories. 
And so I find it fascinating that this story has evolved into, I would say, La Llorona. And La Llorona is on the same track of a mythical type of story, right? La Llorona is a in the same vein as El Cucuy, right? So when we talk about La Llorona... The same flavor, the same... Yeah, the same yes, format. It just comes the same way. Like, mm-hmm. okay, something horrible happened, therefore I am going to avenge, which is very Greek mythology. Everything that happened, they right. just wanted to avenge. And it's not only them. This is something that has gone through for centuries, decades, decades, if you think about it. There was always some couple mm-hmm. that needed, that had were wrong, were killed, and they wanted to avenge. And usually it was a woman that had been wrong, and the children end up on the other side of their hurting pain, which is what I call these poor children that end up wrapped in these stories. I guess the La Llorona, if you want to discuss La Llorona, if you don't know the full story of La Llorona, there is a movie out there. There's a horror movie that Hollywood made. It did not do very well. And that interests me a little because this is a Latino based movie that has a lot of mythology related to, you know, our cultura. But yet it was made horribly. And I think if there's a way to make it better in a way that's more modern story, that would be awesome. But, you know, so those of you, you creatives out there that are listening, this is where you can come in and pitch your story or you make your own story on YouTube because right now YouTube is blowing up for movies. I <laughs> think yeah, I want to do. I'd love to do that. So those too. are just some things. Yeah. So tell me, yeah, you should, you should. So tell me about La Llorona, the, I know that we know it's a woman, but it gets down to the detail, like why she wears a white dress and why she's so spooky and she comes to you at night or why she comes like you, you're not supposed to cry, you know, because she'll come and get you. It's like, oh shit, you know, why, what did I do? It's her sadness. (laughs) Right? All of her spookiness Mm. just came out of the sadness, the sadness and vengeful spirit. You know, she wanted to avenge herself, but it definitely has a root. And it obviously, it's here we go, a woman that has been wronged by a man. Therefore, she didn't see another way to get out of this rut that she was in because she started aging due to the pain that her husband was inflicting on her. It was not physical pain. It was mental pain. So she became... A total ghost, uh. a total guest. She became nothing. She knew that she was nothing. So for her, it was easy mm. to just go ahead and kill the thing that her husband loved the most when he left, which it was the children. Mm-hmm. But the story doesn't really start there. Mm. The story starts. Also in Venezuela, they have a story of a whipping woman. They do. And they call it La Soyona. Because the outfit that she was wearing, that oh, La Sayona. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that white outfit that she's wearing is called Sayona, which is white linen, cotton veils. And that's why it seems uh, more spooky to us. But we had to remember in those centuries, women used to wear a lot of white. You would wear black when you were in mm. wedding, but white was the preferred color because due to a heat, basically. That's why it's a lot mm-hmm. of white. We will mm-hmm. see a lot of white in summer places, in um, places where the heat is oppressing. Like, for example, in Mexico, where the story mm-hmm. takes place. And I do believe that the story is true. Absolutely true. Mm. Wow. So, as they call why, her, why do you I believe, believe it's true? true? Because it's just too tender. It's just so much from the heart that you can actually see yourself in La Llorona in so many ways. Because Mm. who hasn't been in a place like this? Probably all of us. She had Mm -hmm. great parents. They loved her. They loved her to death. She was a beautiful child. She lived in a little town with her parents. And her name was Maria. Her skin was glorious. She had a skin like porcelain. And she had this brown flowing hair. And you remember in those days, people did not really cut their hair. So her hair was like waist long. And she had soft curls. Everybody mm-hmm. in the village knew about Maria. But everyone wanted to marry her. But, you know, it's one of those things that you have. You're sort of afraid to marry the most beautiful woman. 
in your village. And she was very pious. She used to go to church a lot. And I've seen things like that, a rosary that is made out of silver and pearls. And it was supposed to become, mm. it was supposed to be given to her. And it was a Spanish rosary. And she was always, because she was summer and her skin was so delicate, she wore white. And she was very, very spoiled by her parents. Although they were poor, they would go to extra lengths to give her whatever they wanted, you know. And so here we go. A man comes in the picture and uh, he hears about her. He's just in town for like a day. That's it. So he hears about this beautiful woman. Wait, was he like a pioneer? She, he was looking for business opportunities. Being a very rich person, he mm. was looking for a lot of opportunities you know, that were available at the time. Remember, as soon as you had a little bit of money, there you go. You can go and start traveling all over the world mm. and basically be the inventor of Microsoft. <laughs> because there's opportunities. There was a lot of opportunities then. <laughs> These were opportunities for men, but not for women. Because again, in the culture, right, women relied on men for economic power during this time. So we were, you know, women were very dependent for economic gain, wealth, and also how to rise within the community. Correct. So these things are still relevant today in some countries, which is very sad. And that just shows you how oppressed women still are. But this story, right? Yes. So if there's any men out there listening, <laughs> you got to watch out because I think La Llorona is more for them. <laughs> it is. It's more of a story about how you should behave in a marriage after you woo this beautiful woman. They tell you about it and then you're hiding behind a rose bush as she's exiting church. And it was love of her sight for him. It was, that's it. He was, mm-hmm. he was drawn to her. He loved her, of course, who wouldn't. And because he had money, he went to her parents and she found him very nice as well, you know, very educated. He had money, very well spoken. And she was impressed with him. Mm-hmm. She was impressed by the aura that he actually gave. And the parents were as well. So they gave Maria's hand. They gave it to him. They said, okay, you can marry our daughter. They had Parents had the best intentions in those days. Uh, some of them. Some of them. Because we know about... Right. Yes. That's another whole ball that we have to speak mm-hmm. about. The honor killings, for example. That's <laughs> another ball right. of spaghetti. Let's bring right. there that way. But... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. That's amazing. But these parents, these... It's a whole other plate of meatballs. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> but these parents were very nice. They loved her and they thought that this would be the best for their daughter. Not only that, but in this case, she consented. Something that is not given to other women in other places of the world. They don't... You're not able to consent to a marriage. They just marry you off for the heck of it. And these marriages don't end up so well. But Maria's marriage ended up well in the beginning... He took her away to another town to build her a beautiful home. But the town was like like 60 miles or so. And whatever she wanted, he built. He built her a glorious home. He had gardens. He had uh, little ponds, beautiful trees. But unfortunately, he started working as he was before. And he's traveling more and more. So here we have Maria all alone pregnant at this time with the first child and at home in her own little world when her husband is gallivanting and obviously what do you think is going to happen you're traveling you're going to meet someone else and your pregnant Maria is at home waiting for you and you just take that for granted that the woman you marry is going to be there all the time no wonder they still do this yes yeah, they think that we're there just to watch. <laughs> so clean. this, right, right. So the premise of La Llorona <laughs> is you better respect yeah, your don't woman. Take her for granted. <laughs> don't take her for granted. But the sad part is the uh, to this story, as we all know, is if there was some reality to this, that most people at the time didn't understand. You know the psychological consequences oh, birth, of the postpartum and after birth. That's what happened to her. She went yeah, into it which is a hormonal transition that your body goes through after birth, which I've never experienced, but I've heard and seen some stories where it's very hard 
for you to come back into where you were before birth. It's like a whole transition. And when times are hard and you're under a tremendous amount of stress and you don't have your family by Mm -hmm. you, you are going to freak the F out. Absolutely. (laughs) You're in a place that you don't know. And you will do some crazy shit. Crazy, badass, bad stuff. Yes, which is... And remember, this, yeah. this has I mean, I mean, there's a lot to it, right? Yeah, this has happened recently. This is, yeah. not, this is not just uh, Maria's only uh, sin. This continues to happen because out of yeah. healthcare, it's not really paying attention to women that have postpartum depression, which is a thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, so, it is a yes. thing. And so the the basis of La Llorona, right, was the story moves on that her husband was gone. He has an affair, right? Yes. She comes back, she has kids. She, and then he leaves her, right? He leaves the story her. goes on. This, he leaves her. At some point, yeah, because Mar- Maria has another, another yeah. child. In one of his trips, obviously, uh, she mm-hmm. got pregnant and then she had a daughter. But this time, the trips are longer and longer. And Maria, desperate, one day, you know, she's walking, uh, just imagine this girl. She must be in, she must be like late teens. She must be 19 to 20. But due to the um, stress, like you said, and the pain, she's aging rapidly. Her, She's always crying. She goes one day to this little pond that is by the house and she's crying. She's basically filling the pond. And in the image of the pond, she sees her husband, and she is so happy that she sees him in there. And she thinks this is a great omen. Unfortunately, she also sees another woman in their reflection. So Maria starts getting more worried and more preoccupied. Mm. And lo and behold, he comes home one day and he says, I am leaving you for a younger woman. How many of us have heard uh, that? I'm- every woman's nightmare. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes. yes. Right right there, right. I mean, that's just, uh, I know I feel bad that uh, just quickly, I'm I'm giving a shout out to Rob. Rob, I know you're married. You're never going to leave your woman. You're a good man. So (laughs) (laughs) I just want to, I feel like we're bagging on men right now, but, and our sound guy, Mr. Lopez, it's like, oh, Rob, he just got married. And it's like, (laughs) we're like, damn, he's like, damn, (laughs) but I know for like, Damn. Damn, but but this will this will keep you in check, I think, after you hear the story. <laughs> Either that or like your is going to come for you. Anytime somebody marries a Latina woman, they're going <laughs> right. to be put in check. <laughs> right. So then she sees. So let's continue the story, Maritza. So she sees her image. She sees her husband. She's happy. Then this. You know, there's like some brujeria going on here where she sees another woman. And then what happens after after, uh, after he leaves, he, she figures, you know, okay, so the thing that he loves the most, the children. He loves the children. And she figures this is a good way to extract vengeance upon this man, which is not always a good idea. Mm. This is not always a good idea. This vengeance, um, revenge spirit that we have, we should leave that into the hands of the Lord or the universe, whatever you want to call it. So she takes her two sleeping children and in each arm, and she goes walking around. The kids are wondering, what is happening? Why are you waking us up? They have no shoes. The mother is just confused. She doesn't have any idea. It's nighttime. You can hear the forest, and then all of a sudden, everything goes quiet. You don't even hear an owl, nothing. And all of a sudden, you're right there. You see this river. You hear the river, and the only thing is, I'm going to get in the river. Probably she wasn't even thinking about the children. She's probably thinking about all of them dying. That's what I think about the time Mm. that Maria was experiencing, because... I have seen that in a few women in the United States, I don't know about the rest of the world, that have done things like that. The woman that just, she was, she just drove her car into a lake. That has happened. That mm-hmm. happened actually a few times. The mm-hmm. one that drowned her children in a tub, that happened. Postpartum depression, too many kids at mm-hmm. the same time. That's what I said, but I could be wrong. So this is exactly what happened to her. Mm-hmm. She just went into the river, she slowly made her way there. She started holding her bread and she started 
sinking and soaking the kids and sinking and going in and out, in and out. She submerged herself totally. And um, although she was holding her breath, the children were not. So as she came up back for air, mm. the children were dead in her arms and she just let them go. So she, they went down the current and I could see her realizing what happened. And then she's trying to go after her kids. And unfortunately, something happened because mm. this isn't, you know, how the river is and the trees have all these roots and branches. So something was pulling her down and she couldn't come back up. And that was it. The children were just taking downstream, oh. although she was screaming and crying. They found her at the side of the river. They found her dead the next day with all her beautiful, beautiful white nightgown all wrapped around her so there's a lot of things that could have happened in here you're not going to tell me that this woman just really just went out with the idea that she was gonna just drown her children i think that that story has progressed into Mm. a scary story that's my belief my belief that they're just taking this horror that this woman was going through the, the pain and the sadness that she was going through they transform it into something terrifying which I do not believe was the case. I totally not believe that, especially not about this woman that was so kind. Or, Mm -hmm. or, right. Or or, maybe it was a way to cover up a murder. It is possible. Right. It's like he had a woman Mm -hmm. and now it becomes a story of a cover up of murder. Absolutely. So that is where the story could turn because men don't want to be held accountable if it is the woman going crazy, Mm -hmm. she drowns her children, he's off the the hook. hook. But if you wanted to escape, that's the way to make the story. It's a legend. It becomes folklore. It becomes the woman went out of her mind. And maybe she did. But to get out of whatever contract he was in with the family who knows at that time right and if we go back to zeus and that story and how the men traveled around and the woman is always heartbroken i mean there could have been many reasons because again these are stories that we don't get to tell right and if we do it's we're we're vengeful or we're gonna come and get you so yeah i mean even if that's the case Right. So let's dissect this. So even if La Llorona is about a murder case, right, that gets covered up to turn it around, that's still on the conscious of the story maker of a man, if it was obviously from a man, not a woman, but it's still in his conscious that the woman is going to come back to get you. Right. Yes. It's like that is how uh, the killing of spirit of someone's spirit will always stay with you. And they even say that, you know, on the block, right? Like once you kill somebody, you know, that stays with you forever, right? Forever. You you can't let that go. In war, whatever it is, mm-hmm. that's that person's spirit actually stays with you. So maybe that was part of the transition of La Llorona is that don't cry, don't, you know, it's a scary thing about a woman coming to get you if you cry, but it could have multiple story facets of hiding a murder, or it could have been her postpartum. It could have been a multitude of things of how the story originated, but it's always around this story of a family, right? Yes, it is. And, you know, uh, why is she still going around calling her children? If she just wanted to be a vengeful and spiteful woman, then it's like, okay, I'm done with the kids. I know I'm not going to be buried in a Catholic cemetery because I sinned. But this woman is still alive. It's like she's in a purgatory, basically. And she is looking for her Mm -hmm. children. She's screaming their name. And that's why, unfortunately, you know, they scare us. And I don't know. She roams the rivers and she just tries to take the children because she thinks are hers, are her kids. So she kidnaps them thinking, Mm. okay, I am going to redeem myself because we're all going to be back together. And then she realizes that this is what they've been, you know, scaring us with. She realizes they're not her kids and she just drowns them. 
So that's the Hollywood version. But in the Hollywood version, they try to kill her. I don't think you don't kill a spirit. You know, this is a spirit. This is a woman that went mm-hmm. hardship. I I don't think so. I think I think there's something more in here. I think there's something there's something more meaty. What Hollywood did with that story was just created into almost a vampire story. Somebody with more power is going to come and kill you and get rid of you, like an exorcism. That's not just right. a thing. Why is it that when a woman, and in the old days, it was the same thing, hysterical women, because it comes from the history, because it comes from your internal organs, your feminine organs. And this is this is coined by fraud. Mm-hmm. And, oh, she's hysterical. We have to do a hysterectomy. This is it. This is what they actually thought. Oh, make yeah. It yeah. Here we go again. Right. Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So it's a myth in this time of story. Myth versus reality versus, you know, what re- actually happened in fact. And so the facts always come out or they never come out. So they get brushed up into Hollywood as a scary, spooky story. You know, I think that some of these stories that come out are from folklore and they just didn't know how to handle the power of a woman of, you know, her giving birth and her emotions. And, you know, we like you said, we talk about this in the beginning that we are so powerful as women. We do so much for our families and communities that when that power is really expressed, it kind of freaks people out. (laughs) Yes. And I think La Llorona comes from that, you know, here we are doing these things. And when we get excited or we get crazy because our love is so strong for our family or community or whatever, people don't understand that our love and how it comes out when we can't control it in a way that's more positive, it comes out in another way. And I think that's where it becomes vengeful, right? Because that old saying, hell hath no fury like a woman's scorn. (laughs) I think there's no joke in that. (laughs) No, there's not. We're talking about La Llorona. We're talking about, is it myth? Is it murder? what actually happened. And we're also infusing this with the power of storytelling and how we as women are very strong communicators of our history. And it's not his story, it's her story. And I think that's how we have to start (laughs) saying it moving forward, is her story. So with that, Marita, I want to end this story for now because I want to talk about another story to continue our Halloween and spooky is it really Halloween horror story or is it actually revenge murder I hope this empowers women and they stop thinking about these legends as Hollywood would like us to believe them because I am sick and tired of Hollywood's views on us really seriously Especially people of different cultures. Ugh. This is so annoying. Don't get me started. <laughs> I love that. You know, when I came back from this conference, the Hispanicized 19, that was a big issue about movies and how women are portrayed, especially people of color, Latinas in particular, and how we have to change the narrative. We have to write more stories where we are very powerful and how we bring communities together to be the protagonist but not in a bad way not like oh we're scaring you oh we're murdering you no we are not we are not that she devil that's not us that's not nurturing yeah imagine a world with just women i'm sorry but for a second just go there do you think there'll be a war no right no wars no well we don't know i mean oh yeah I mean, we, as women, we have some pretty big emotions, and I don't know how that would come forward. But So Maritza, you're right about Hollywood and how they make these stories and how we, you know, how they sensationalize. Hollywood sensationalizes a lot of these stories where women are weak or they are not the 
protagonists, as you say, or yes. how we, you know, they don't put us in a good light. And, no. and I think that writing has to change. And so again, if there's folks out there that are writing stories and you want something to be turned into a film, again, there's, there's avenues out there and it is starting to bubble up. So I would encourage you to keep writing and telling your stories. But on the flip side, where we were talking about La Llorona, whether it's myth, murder, or, you know, how that experience happened and how we tell it to our kids, there are other true crime stories that you bring to the forefront about Latinos Mm -hmm. across the world or women in general that these stories are real. And nobody talks about these stories. Mm -hmm. Like, there are stories about you know, white women that always disappear or white women getting raped or, you know, everything that happens about women is usually a white woman. And when women of color get murdered or they disappear, no one ever talks about that. It takes an act of goddamn Congress to get that notification up there. It's always like, oh, look at these women fighting, you know, women of color. That's all they do. They just fight and this and that and blah, blah, blah. But when we disappear for some reason, which I have to say, we are the highest sex trafficked community is women of color. We are the highest sex trafficked women of color. And when we talk about these things that we need to recognize how we can support and keep each other safe. This is an area of true crime to make yourself aware. And when we talk about the true crimes that happen with women that go out there and they take revenge, it's usually because they've been battered. They have been abused. Uh, You know, if we want to bring in the whole, this is October Domestic Violence Awareness Month. There is some serious vengeance that comes out from a woman that once their emotions, they don't know how to process them. This is what what ends up coming out. And it's usually out of, you know, a love like La Llorona. This was a whole love story, right? Of how she took the kids and things of that. When we go to true crime about women, there's a, a few stories about black widows, which, you know, women that prey on men <laughs> that kill them because, you know, whatever happened to them in the past, mm-hmm. they go after them. And so they're known as black widows. But when we talk about true crime, we're talking about women that women of color that disappear and this goes across our community. This goes across transgender. This goes into the LGBTQ community. Mostly people of color that disappear or get trafficked. You never hear about them. So in this true crime, part of what you do, Maritza, why is it so important that you tell these stories? Well, I found um, a soft spot for this because I lived in Santa Fe in New Mexico. And a lot of tribal women live there. And I didn't know this at the time, but to me, that mm-hmm. just went into my heart. Tribal women are the most sexually abused and trafficked, yes, but the sexual abuse mm-hmm. occurs within a family member when they're about mm. 8 to 12 years old. So what do you think these girls are going to do? They're mm-hmm. going to try to run away. They're going to try to leave. Mm-hmm. Then they see themselves on the street and how they're going to support themselves. So they figure they have to be away. Somebody sees them on the corner. This is going to be your future pimp, basically, because he's going to offer you a shelter, a place. And then what is he going to do? He's going to hook you up on drugs Mm -hmm. or give you alcohol, which is another of the curses that we have in the Native American community, which to me, I have a soft spot for them. Very soft spot, maybe because I live there, maybe because Mm -hmm. I know so many women from pueblos. I have no idea, but... It's not just in the United States. It also happens in Canada. Canada has a lot of Native mm-hmm. indigenous women that they actually disappear. There's a road that is called the Road of Tears yeah. because of all the women that have disappeared. And you know, the family just doesn't go out and say, hey, my sister, very few cases, my sister, my daughter disappeared because they know a family member took them. They don't know where they are. Mm-hmm. At this point, so what do they do? Nothing. Nobody's going to pay attention to that because, like you said, oh, it's just a woman. She went on. She 
went off with a man and she just found herself a lover or she was killed on the street for doing what she does, which is street walking. How dare they? That's why there's so many women that have been killed by serial killers because they think nobody's going to miss them. Nobody cares about this woman. The family mm -hmm. doesn't care. Why should I care? Right. The police are very lax when it comes to all of these crimes. They take their time. If you're not there pushing and pushing, mm -hmm. where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And like you said, a lot of black women fall into this category, not by choice, not circumstances. Mm -hmm. Circumstances and our government play a big role in here, a big one. There's not enough shelters. Yes. There's yep. not enough shelters in, in any of the communities because I lived also in Denver, which there were so many shelters. And for women to be in a shelter, they had to be standing on that line in freezing rain or during a snowstorm for hours to get a cot. And these were uh, co-ed. So imagine what could happen in there as well. So a woman doesn't get there in time with her right. children and she's going to be on the street. I also worked with Volunteers of America in Denver, and I saw firsthand what happened to these children as well. So that's why I started mm -hmm. in an interest in women that have disappeared, in serial killers, in repeat offenses, and also mm -hmm. to the cultural category of uh, women that have been killed due to something called honor killing, which is so perverse and malicious, mm. and I can't believe that it's still happening in the world. I thought this was ancient history. It's not. It's happening. Nobody's doing anything. Yep. I totally agree. These are areas that, again, we're talking about how women of color, mm -hmm. you know, we talk about, is it myth? Is it, you know, legend? Is it reality? Is it murder? And this is around a time that we want to also bring awareness to our cultura for remembering our ancestors but this is also domestic violence and awareness month and this is an area that not enough people talk about the disappearance of women of color and maritza who is my guest here talking about these issues on her podcast is globally talking to a spanish community about these things in true crime But she also provides her storytelling of fiction where is it really legend or is it really a story that it comes from maybe some thread of history where women were suppressed or we were in these honor killings and how was the story contrived, right? But there's always an element to her story, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, that the woman she comes for revenge or she seeks justice. And just like Maritza, who's on this podcast with me today, she seeks justice for those who have passed on, who had no voice, who have disappeared and how we tell our stories. It is her story that needs to be told. Maritza is doing this globally through her podcast, Tero en los Boros, which you can catch on the Apple podcast, Stitcher or Google podcast. She's also on Twitter. So if you'd like to tweet her about some of these stories, you can also do that because she wants to hear your stories. She likes to tell these stories across the globe. And when we talk about the honor killings and women of color disappearing off the streets, these things are still happening today. And then when we talk about fiction, like La Llorona or El Cucuy, you know, are those really stories to keep us scared or were they really part of women that were missing or that have disappeared? So when we talk in these collective stories, we want to bring awareness and specifically around the month of October, this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. I think the color is purple, <laughs> but we also want to remember our ancestors that have given us this opportunity to speak on our Cultura, to raise awareness and to be in this grateful moment that we are alive and we can support each other as a community in Latinx. So with that, Maritza, I want to support you in any way that we can. I know this was a little up and down in the storytelling, but I think it's really important that people understand like, oh yeah, there's Coco 
and there's this, (laughs) you know, movie that's all fun. But there's a lot out there that it comes from, you know, our community we need to recognize. So Maritza, I want to thank you again for being a guest here on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. These stories you shared with me are very empowering, and I hope it gives a lot of community out there the ambition to write her story and to produce her story and to film her story, whatever that may be, where we can be empowered and hold each other up. On another note, I also want to thank you, Maritza, for taking this time in your day and for connecting and keeping in touch with me from the podcast movement. We like to thank the podcast movement. Shout out to the podcast movement and other Latinos that are out there podcasting. You know, it's always good to collaborate. And I think this shows that uh, we can support each other in those ways and sharing her story as well as our collective stories.